After 100 conversations with 100 of the world's most successful tech entrepreneurs, you can't help but identify certain patterns. And when you start seeing the patterns, the things you learn about what's involved in building successful companies are truly fascinating. In a sense, sharing these patterns is basically the purpose of what you're listening to right now, the quote-unquote startup gold episodes here on Webmasters. I spent hundreds of hours interviewing a bunch of successful entrepreneurs, and yeah, sure, you could go back and listen to all the episodes. And to be clear, I hope you do go back and at least listen to some, particularly when something you've heard here piques your interest. But I'm also realistic, and I know the chances of most people digging through all the archives is basically zero. So in these episodes, I'm synthesizing some of the most important patterns for all the listeners who don't have 100 hours to spend catching up on old episodes. And that brings me to the topic of today's episode and one of the most significant patterns I noticed throughout my interviews. It has to do with the importance of startup timing. Are you ready to learn more? Let's get dialed in. When you talk with lots of successful entrepreneurs, inevitably one topic that usually comes up either directly or indirectly is why these entrepreneurs think they were successful. The problem is they don't always know the real reason. I don't mean they're willfully ignorant or to be honest that there's only one reason for startup successes or failures, but in general, lots of people have trouble understanding what happened in a given scenario when they were involved in that scenario. This, by the way, isn't a phenomenon unique to startups. If you get into a car crash tomorrow, you likely won't have a good sense of why or what exactly happened. But one of the entrepreneurs I spoke with was keenly aware of why he was successful. And I want to discuss it because I'm pretty sure the same factor significantly influenced the outcomes for every other entrepreneur I spoke with, even if they didn't realize it or acknowledge it. That entrepreneur is a man named John Danner, and he founded a web advertising company called NetGravity. But before we get into what was so important about John's story and NetGravity, let me take a quick minute to thank this podcast's sponsor. Webmasters is being brought to you with help and support from Latona's. Latona's is a boutique mergers and acquisitions broker. They help people buy and sell cash flow positive internet businesses and digital assets. In other words, they help sell internet businesses, everything from SaaS apps to e-commerce stores that already have valuable customer acquisition processes in place. And that's critical because that's the hard part of building a business, customer acquisition. Imagine being able to buy a business that already has customers, lots of them, and a process for getting more. That's exactly what you can do by heading over to the Latona's website, where you'll find listings for all the established profitable companies Latona's is currently helping to sell. Oh, and uh, by the way, if you're someone who's already done the hard work of building a profitable business with lots of customers and you're thinking about selling it, be sure to reach out to the Latona's team so they can help you get it sold for a great price. Either way, looking to buy an internet business or looking to sell one, make sure you get started by heading over to latonas.com. That's L-A-T-O-N-A-S.com. NetGravity ultimately sold for a billion dollars. That's a solid startup outcome by just about any measure. Plus, it was the world's first web marketing company, meaning it's historically important. And yet, unless you are one of the few truly diehard Webmasters fans out there, or you're a huge internet marketing nerd like me, you've surely never even heard of it. 
so why focus on it here? Well, NetGravity's CEO, John Danner, made one of the most memorable comments I heard throughout my 100 plus hours of conversations. Here's what he said when I asked him about his strategy as a startup CEO. Well, I certainly was horrible. I'd really almost never managed before, maybe like five people, and we were at 25 people in three or four months. So I was completely out of my depth almost immediately. I had no idea what leadership was. You know, I thought maybe my job was just tell people what to do. So really horrible. Um, but it kind of didn't matter. I'm shocked in retrospect, we grew very quickly to 40 million or so in revenue over three and a half years back when 40 million in revenue was, was a reasonable number and, you know, a couple hundred employees. And, and I didn't know what I was doing but nobody left. That's right. A guy who had a billion dollar exit described himself as a horrible CEO. And here's the thing. I don't think he was being lighthearted or jokey or modest. He's someone who's gone on to be an experienced investor and founded other companies. And he truly understands what it means to be a great CEO. And yet he looks back on his time running that gravity and he's pretty sure he was horrible. But the company succeeded. So what happened? How can a horrible CEO still lead a wildly successful company? Well, John had a thoughtful answer to that question, too. It was, it was kind of like surreal in hindsight that when you get extraordinary product market fit like that, you can almost do anything wrong. I think uh, Mark Zuckerberg says this sometimes, like if the market is just pulling your stuff hard enough, you can do everything wrong and it doesn't matter. They forgive you. Um, and that that's certainly what happened with us. According to John, he hit the market at the right time. And by the way, the rest of the Net Gravity Story episodes maps out a lot of that timing. Uh, the short version is that John went in and pitched the founders of Yahoo and ad server right as Yahoo was about to explode in popularity. And well, things just took off from there. And one of my first meetings was with Yahoo uh, after that. And Yahoo was six people in the back of a, a kind of a trailer, not a trailer park, but a, but a commercial park in Mountain View. It was the founders and a couple other guys. Um, and it was one of those meetings that you kind of dream of as a founder where I walked in and I said, I think, um, I think the internet's going to be based on advertising. And so I built this ad server that puts ads on pages. And uh, Tim Brady, who's still a friend today, was, was one of the Yahoo guys. And he said, a Y Combinator partner now, he said, he said, well, we had a board meeting last night and we decided that Yahoo's going to be advertising based. We're going to go public in three months. Can we put your ad server in today? <laughs> and I said, well, you can't do it today, but let me, uh, let me, let me go talk to my co-founders and, and we'll shoot for tomorrow. So yeah, Yahoo desperately needed an ad server. John went home and built one, gave it to them basically the next day. And suddenly he and NetGravity had just pioneered the entire web marketing industry. That's what we call having incredible timing. The web was about to explode in popularity. There needed to be some viable model for advertising on it. And John was the first to offer one. It didn't have to be good, and he didn't have to be good. There was just so much demand that the demand compensated for a lot of the problems he might have had as an entrepreneur slash CEO and that the company might have had as a business. This is the key lesson. Timing in startups matters. 
a lot. In fact, based on all my interviews, it matters a heck of a lot more than most entrepreneurs realize or seem to care about. The vast, 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 vast majority of the successful companies I learned about during my interviews were successful in part because they had great timing. For example, Craig Newmark, yeah, that that Craig of Craigslist fame, he explained that more than anything else, it was his accidental timing that led to the platform's enormous success. It was an accident. I'm not an entrepreneur. I was happy working in a uh, larger structure. Uh, but at some point, uh, I got lucky because I was working at Charles Schwab. They had big problems. And this was early, mid-95, when they let me go with a big severance, which also happened at IBM. And I was able to enter the emerging uh, dot-com industry in San Francisco in early, mid-95, which couldn't have been a better time. I got involved with uh, people doing good work. Most importantly, I got my first contracting gig at uh, Bank of America at first building up their website and then helping build home banking. I was really lucky. And my roles in all the above were pretty minor as a contractor, but my deal is really just that by accident, I've been in the right uh, time and place. So accidentally, my successes over the last 20 or 30 years has uh, been by accident, and that makes me the forest gump of the internet. To be clear, I'm not suggesting timing is the only factor in a startup's outcome, and I'm definitely not suggesting that great timing means people just get lucky. While timing is certainly something you can luck into, nothing about my conversation with John tells me net gravity was something he lucked into. He worked hard to identify a market opportunity that was exceptionally well-timed. That wasn't luck. That requires lots and lots of effort. And it's the kind of effort any entrepreneur can put in with a bit of critical thinking about what's going on in the world around them. Specifically, when we think about timing, founders have four things to consider. First is technological timing. What technologies are emerging now that didn't exist X number of years ago? And what do those technologies enable? For example, Uber. We could hop into a time machine, travel back 70 years, and ask people in the 1950s if they'd like to be able to press a button in their pocket and have a car pick them up wherever they are and take them wherever they want to go. So in other words, the idea for Uber was always a good idea but it needed certain technologies to be feasible. Once those technologies existed, we got Uber. The second type of timing to consider is cultural timing. What cultural shifts are happening that allow people to believe or be comfortable with certain things now that they wouldn't have been comfortable with X years ago? For this example, consider Airbnb. The technology for Airbnb existed 20-ish years ago, so why didn't we have Airbnb? Well, because 20 years ago, nobody was going to sleep in the house of some stranger they met on the internet. That would have seemed like a huge non-starter and possibly even the start of a popular horror movie. The third type of timing is related to resources. Simply put, if you suddenly have more resources, it often leads to new innovations. For example, what if I handed you a check for $100 million? you'd go do things you would never have done before, right? Well, the same thing happens in entrepreneurship. If you suddenly have an extra million dollars lying around, it'll change how you innovate. 
And the last type of timing to consider is regulatory timing. If a government or industry is about to pass a new law or regulation, that often opens the door for new innovations. For this example, think about the legalization of marijuana in the United States. Uh, the more states where it gets legalized, the more we'll see people launching new businesses to capture the demand. Are you starting to understand what's going on here? For John, web advertising was coming. It was going to be a big thing, and he jumped in front of what was essentially a runaway train. In starting NetGravity, I guess my thought was that we were going to enter a time where content wanted to be free because it was so ubiquitous and easily accessible. And if content was free, how was that going to support you know, people making content? Um, and so I played with a lot of things, subscriptions and stuff like that, but ultimately decided that I thought that advertising might be the thing. While I would never say timing is everything, it's clearly enormously important in the ultimate outcome of a startup. Keep that in mind as you launch your companies. It's not that you need impeccable timing to succeed, it's that timing is going to dramatically impact how you need to execute. If you have bad timing in the market, you're going to have to execute everything else really, really well. But if you have great timing, you can be like John Danner, a horrible CEO who built an incredible company. Pretty interesting, huh? And if you liked that, we've got more episodes of Startup Gold coming soon. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. A quick thanks again to John Danner, my original guest for this episode. And a thanks to our sponsor, Latonas, for all their support. Remember, if you're in the market to buy or sell an internet business, be sure to check out latonas.com. If you're interested in more lessons about startups and entrepreneurship, I got lots of that stuff for you. Just head on over to my website. It's aaronedinnan.com where you can sign Sign up for my newsletter, browse articles, access my social medias, and all those other types of good things. Uh, there's certainly plenty to see and read until we get to our next episode of Webmasters, which we'll have out to you as soon as possible. But for now, well, I guess it's time for me to sign off. <laughs>